Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for standing by and welcome to the IMV Inc. announced second quarter 2020 financial results and provide corporate update conference call. At this time, all participants are in a lesson-only mode. After the speaker's presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during the session, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone. If you require any further assistance, please press star 0. I will now like to turn the conference over to your speaker today, Pierre Labbé, Vice President and Chief Financial Officer. Please go ahead. Thank you, Julie. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Pierre Labbé. I'm CFO at IMV. I'm pleased to welcome you to our clinical operational and financial update for the second quarter of 2020. I'm joined today by Fred Ort, our CEO, Joanne Chandler, our the Chief Medical Officer, and Marianne Sanford, our VP R&D, both of whom will be available for the question period. Fred will begin with an overview of the company's operational highlights, and I will, after that, present the quarter's financial highlights. Before we begin, I would like to remind you that, except for historical information, this audio presentation contains forward-looking statements, which reflects IMV's current expectations about future events. These forward-looking statements involve known and unknown risks and uncertainties that could cause IMV's actual results to differ materially from these statements. These risks and uncertainties include but are not limited to our ability to access capital, the successful and timely completion of clinical trials, the receipt of all regulatory approval and other risks detailed from time to time in our ongoing quarterly filing and in our annual information form. The forward-looking statements made on this call are based on several assumptions which may prove incorrect and they represent views only as of the date of this call and are presented for the purpose of assisting potential investors in understanding IMV's business and may not be appropriate for other purposes. IMV does not undertake to update forward-looking statements, whether written or oral, that may be made from time to time by or on its behalf, except as required under applicable securities legislation. Investors are cautioned not to rely on these forward-looking statements and are encouraged to read IMV's continuous disclosure documents including its current annual information form, as well as its audited annual consolidated financial statements, which are available on CDAR and on NGAR. The press release, the MDNA, and the financial statement are all posted on our website at imbinc.com. If you wish to receive a copy of either of these documents, please do not hesitate to contact us. Finally, Take note that we will take questions only from sell-side analysts at the end of the call. Now I'm turning the call over to Fred. Fred? 
Thank you, Pierre, and welcome to our second quarter result call. I'm very pleased to have the opportunity to review IMV's latest realizations, which includes significant strengthening of our financial position, the rapid advancement of our COVID-19 vaccine candidate, and very promising updated clinical results in our oncology program. Starting with our recent realizations around BPX COVID-19 vaccine candidate, we are enthusiastic that Health Canada has recently agreed on our proposed phase one clinical study design that is including the elderly population. This study is a randomized controlled study assessing the safety and immunogenicity of DPX COVID-19 in 84 healthy adults across two age fours, one with adults aged between 18 to 55 and another one with adults over 56. For each cohort, two dose levels will be tested. Enrollment will happen at two sites in Canada, and we are expecting to get final approval to initiate vaccination of subjects before the end of the summer. Our vaccine is a formulation of the DPX platform with four complementary peptide antigens selected for the high immunogenicity and ability to bind non-overlapping areas on the virus pack and neutralize its sensitive function with the goal to optimize safety and efficacy of um, COVID-19 vaccination. It is important to note our selected targets are located outside of the 614 gene mutation, which according to recent research has been demonstrated to increase the virus ability to infect cells in vitro and suggested to potentially um, reduce vaccine-induced immunity. This means that our vaccine candidate would retain its potential efficacy and dependently from current or future mutation of the virus at this site, as well as at other sites outside of the four peptides we have selected. Our preclinical results have shown that DPX COVID-19 can induce strong immunogenicity that is superior or equivalent to a clinical immunosuppressive vaccine against RSV that we are using as a reference in all our preclinical studies, and that the immune response is functional with antibodies uh, binding on target to the spike protein and capable of neutralizing the virus. As we anticipate shortly moving with this phase one, we've also completed the current manufacturing practice formulation and manufacturing process development uh, to support uh, phase two and beyond. And this includes the successful progression of multiple batches at HIMV. We are doing this development in uh, very close collaboration with the Canadian government with supporting our phase one with about close to $5 million in dollars of non-ability financing. Our um, phase one preliminary results um, um, will become uh, available later this fall. And assuming they are successful, we aim to initiate the phase two clinical trial shortly thereafter and continuing to set up manufacturing. To fund this uh, continued initiatives, the IMV has already submitted uh, auto grant application to relevant authorities and has also engaged uh, in discussions with partners in other countries. I will now review our most recent results in oncology. At our last quarterly update in mid-May, we announced that Spiral, the first to study of a DPX survival combination regimen with Ketoda in patients uh, with relapse refractory DLBCL, had met its primary efficacy endpoint with 64% of available patients demonstrating a clinical response. We are very pleased by these results. We believe they are one of the best in class in relapse refractory DLBCL, comparing very favorably to approved treatments and new therapies in clinical development with respect to efficacy, safety, and ease of care. 
we anticipate presenting top-line data uh, at a scientific conference later this year and to engage with the US FDA to identify the path forward for this indication. In late May, we also gave a, a postal presentation at the American uh, Society of Clinical Ecology, ASCO, on our phase two decide one study in advanced return to lung cancer. Results from this ongoing study showed prolonged durable clinical responses, continued favorable tolerability, and strong translational data linking observed clinical benefit and surviving specific T cell. They also showed the treatment generated a surviving specific CD8 T cell response in 87% of available patients and with surviving specific T cell clones infiltrating tumors as early as day 56 following treatment with DPX or LIVAC. As of the cutoff date on May 2nd, 2020, 19 patients were available for efficacy and four patients or 21% were still receiving treatment. Five out of the 19 patients or 26% achieved a partial regression on target lesions with a regression less than 30%. These results compare very favorably to the documented standard of care of 12% clinical response rate associated to the single agent chemotherapy uh, available for um, late stage recurrent ovarian cancer. And this, we believe, warrants further clinical development for the survival in this indication. Finally, a quick update on our phase two basket trial in multiple advanced metastatic solid tumors. As of August 3rd, a total of 100 patients out of the plan, 184 patients were enrolled across all five indications at 19 clinical sites in Canada and the US. As mentioned previously, the COVID-19 pandemic has impacted the enrollment and data collection of this study. However, we remain on track to report updated results by the end of this year. On a final note, I'm very pleased to, to report that subsequent to the use of our head the market facility and the private placement during the quarter, we ended the quarter on our strongest uh, financial position ever. But I will let Pierre further expand uh, on this later on the call. This, this financing realized during challenging time will significantly extend our cash run rate and position us favorably for the future. We are grateful for the extraordinary work and commitment of our employees and the continued support of our shareholders and partners. We look forward working closely with them as we continue to deliver on uh, these great opportunities. And this concludes my comments. I will now turn the conference over to Pierre for a review of our financials. Yeah. Thank you, Fred. Uh, I just want to remind you that all the numbers I will be discussing are in Canadian dollars. So for the second quarter of 2020, we incurred a net and comprehensive loss of 7.3 million or 30 cents per share, which compares to a net loss and comprehensive loss of 5.1 million for the quarter ended June 30th, 2019. This is mainly explained by an increase in R&D expenses of 1.5 million for the quarter ended June 30th, 2020 compared to 2019. Uh, these increase comes from higher clinical costs related to the basket trial and also higher personal costs reflecting an increase in net count. Uh, it was partially offset by a decrease in travel expenses and also lower clinical costs related to the DECIDE phase two study of uh, DPX survival in patients with advanced recurrent ovarian cancer. Uh, 
we had an increase of gene expenses in the quarter of $800,000 compared to last year. Uh, this is mostly explained by an increase in insurance, higher legal and professional fees, and also higher non-cash ESU compensation, partially offset by a decrease in travel expenses, resulting from the COVID-19 travel restriction. For the six months period in the June 30th, 2020, uh, our cash burn rate was, uh, that is defined as the net loss for the period adjusted for corporations not involved in cash, was 15 million. Uh, it was a lot lower in the second quarter compared to the first quarter. Uh, and uh, we expect that the cash burn for the remainder of 2020 is going to be around $6 million per quarter. As of June 30th, 2020, we had approximately 30.6 million of cash and potential sources of cash, which does not include the additional funding for the development of our BPX COVID-19 that was awarded after June 30th by uh, various uh, governmental organizations in Canada. Also, after June 30th, uh, we sold under our at-the-market facility 4.8 million shares for gross proceeds of 24.5 million U.S. or 33.5 million Canadian. So the ATM is now completed. If we consider the government funding and the fundraise under the ATM in July, on a pro forma basis, the corporation had approximately 68.1 million in existing and identified potential sources of cash at the end of June. IMV is in its best financial con uh, position it has never been. Uh, and as of August 11, 2020, the number of issued and outstanding common shares was 66.5 million shares, and a total of 5 million stock options deferred uh, share units and warrants were outstanding. Please take note that our uh, financial statement for the three-month period in the June 30th, 2020, and the related MDNA are available on CDAR and on Edgar. Thank you for your attention, and I will now turn the call back over to Fred for his closing remarks. Thank you, Pierre. As you can see, we've recently made tremendous progress validating our platform, advancing our clinical assets, and strengthening our balance sheet. Our team got mobilized and moved quickly to develop a vaccine candidate against COVID-19, advancing the clinical and manufacturing processes while securing non-dilutive funding, which put us in a position to deliver preliminary phase one results this fall, and then potentially initiating a phase two shortly after. With respect to oncology, we recently delivered great results, further establishing the ability of DPX or VIVAC to shrink both solid and hematologic tumors with long-lasting clinical responses and a highly differentiated soft safety profile. Before the end of the year, we are on track to report updated data from phase two studies in the LBCL ovarian and basket test study in other solid tumor indications. As these results emerge, we plan to further engage with regulators on the design of potential pivotal trials in support of an accelerated pathway for DPX survival in relapse refractory DLBCL and advanced ovarian cancer. As we continue making progress in, in our quest to deliver improved outcomes for, for patients, we are grateful for the continued support of our stakeholders, partners, shareholders, and employees. We have a strong balance sheet. Our team has the will and the means 
to deliver on IMV's great opportunities throughout 2020 and beyond. Thank you for your attention. Operator, we are now ready to take questions. Thank you. At this time, if you'd like to ask a question, press star 1 on your telephone. To withdraw your question, press the pound key. Please hold while we compile the question. Thank you. Your first question comes from the line of Jim Birch Enup with Wells Fargo. Please go ahead. Yeah, hi, guys. Can you hear me? Yes. Good morning, Jim. Yeah, so con yeah good morning. Um, congrats on all the progress. Uh, a couple of questions, just maybe starting on, on the uh, CPX COVID-19. What's left to do before starting the phase one? And, and maybe remind us of the, um, the timeline for assessing immune response in, in that study. Uh, and on the preclinical data, just wondering when we might see that published, and how would you say it compares to data you've seen published from other vaccines um, in the space? Um, okay, the, the communication was not great, Jim, but I, I think I got your question. But let me know if uh, if I miss uh, if I'm missing anything. So we um, we are very um, grateful of of the kind of collaboration you know we are having with uh, Health Canada. You know they, they've been very helpful in you know we are as you know we are working on a very compressed timeline. So you know the requirement for starting phase one are really you know outside of what would be you know usually required for that. And, and, you know, they've, they've, they've allowed us to have a, a, a continuous discussion, you know, kind of a rolling, you know, uh, file application to start the phase one rather than, you know, the typical, you know, filing you, you, you are doing. So, you know, that's where we are. Um, you know, we are agreeing on, on all the things that have to be completed before we initiate vaccination. But, you know, like I said, you know, we, we believe, you know, that at this point that we'll be able to initiate vaccination uh, before the end of the summer. Um, they, you know, both Health Canada and IMD, you know, uh, are, you know, um, willing to move very quickly. At the same time, you know, I think it's it's also a question of, of you know, uh, being reasonable in, in the approach. And, and definitively on IMD side, you know, we, we are not, you know, um, um, willing to uh, place undue pressure on regulatory authority um, just, you know, to go faster. And Fred, just on the preclinical data, when we might see that published, and, and how would you say it, what you've seen compares to preclinical data from others? Yeah, well, you know, the, both parts of your questions will be my answer. You know, as we, um, you know, we're, you know, we're planning to do the, the publication, uh, of course, um, but you know, we also uh, are, are, you know, mindful that you know, between the time we started and, and where we are today, there's been a lot of publications out. And, and since people, a lot of people in the space, you know, are, are making those comparisons, you know, we, we, we believe it's very important for us to, when we do the publication, that we have enough results so that people could, could you know, make those comparisons. So, um, you know, the bar has been moving, you know, up um, because there's been a lot of preclinical studies, you know, published in the last, you know, um, eight weeks. And we're just, you know, um, you know, um, we just want to make sure that when we do the publication, you know, all the elements uh, that people, you know, will be looking for to make those comparisons will be in there. Uh, so, um, you know, hopefully this will come, you know, close to uh, the initiation of the, of the um, vaccination in humans. Um, you know, I, I think, Jim, and I know if you agree with me, but, you know, in terms of comparison, you know, um, uh, you know, the important things for us are immunogenicity, 
and functionality and you know on those things i think you know it's it's you know uh, in my view you know there has not been you know a lot of differences in between vaccines uh, especially as everybody is using you know different assets uh, but generally speaking, you know, we feel that we have, you know, a vaccine that, you know, uh, is, is uh, at least equivalent to uh, anything else that, you know, has been published or, or shown in the space. And that, you know, based on, on our, our clinical experience with RSV, uh, that our vaccine, you know, stands a good chance to um, uh, provide the differentiation in two aspects which I believe, uh, it's my personal opinion, but which I believe will be the, the most important aspect for consideration of, of, you know, whether a vaccine should be used uh, for mass vaccination, which is, you know, what is the duration of um, the, um, the immune response and then the potential protection? And second, you know, how, how do, what's the, what are the differences between the different groups and especially in the elderly immunocompromised population? And, and are we able to, to get um, um, an immune response in this population that will provide protection. Um, and that's probably the two areas where uh, the most important differentiation, you know, will be seen in between vaccines. And, and that's why, you know, for us, it's so important to have the elderly population directly in the phase one so that we can, we can you know, potentially uh, um, uh, highlight, you know, um, the, the potential benefit of, of the approach that we've, we've taken with DPX COVID-19. Great. Thanks for taking the questions, Fred, and uh, congrats again on the progress. Thank you, Jim. And your next question comes from line of Ted Tenthoff with Piper Sandler. Please go ahead. Great. Good morning, Fred. Good morning, Pierre. Congrats on the success. Um, so I'll, um, I appreciate the progress on the COVID, um, SARS-CoV-2 vaccine, and wanted to ask a little bit just with respect to DPX Survive Act. Based on data, um, potentially later this year, I think you said, what do you envision as potential next steps? Obviously, it'll be data dependent, but just to try to get a sense for sort of what, how you're preparing for success. Thank you. Thanks, Ted. Since uh, Joanne is doing uh, most of this work, I'll let Joanne answer that question. Hi, Ted um, and everyone else. Uh, thank you for the question. Yes, so it's a, it is data dependent, of course. So what we are currently doing is bringing in all that data to better understand the, um, the data set that we have, and that includes the clinical characteristics as well as the translational data. And then the plans are to share that with our key opinion leaders and to take some of their advice and other advisors that we have and then provide an approach that we would propose and to take that to, for example, FDA and to discuss with them how to move this program forward. Um, we, we think the data is very promising, so we think we have an approach in DLB cell as well as in ovarian cancer. Um, so we're very excited about that and actually in the process of doing all the steps that I've just talked about. And um, is it potential it could be a registrational study for those two indications based on the success we've seen or a little earlier to say? You know, it's certainly our goal to do that as quickly as possible. Yeah. So that's why it's important for us to look at the data and to have these conversations and make sure that we can design the best trial that um, would allow us to do yeah. that. And then that, of course, as you know, will require input from the health authorities. 
Yep. Perfect. Thanks, Joanne. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Thanks, Tim. And your next question comes from the line of Joe Panjinis with H.C. Wenright. Please go ahead. Hey, good morning, everyone. Hope you're all doing well and your families as well. Um, two questions. First, uh, Fred, if I heard you correctly, um, I want to focus on manufacturing. And I think you said, obviously, you have internal capabilities, especially for COVID vaccine uh, through phase two. But I wanted to focus on the long term. Um, if, uh, if the vaccine's effective, if DPX or Vivec uh, moves forward, um, what is your internal capacity uh, to move forward, needs for expansion, and would you look to um, uh, basically uh, bring on a CDMO potentially. Thanks. Thanks for the question, Joe. Uh, good morning. Um, yeah. So we have been we have act, we actually have been using uh, uh, CDMOs at time before for quite a long time. Um, you know, we have uh, CDMOs in the U.S. We have CDMOs in Canada. And, and, you know, related to COVID-19, you know, what I said is that, you know, we, we started discussions for um, um, with potential partners in other countries, you know, um, um, something very different um, between DPX Survivac and COVID-19 is that, you know, with COVID-19, there is a very strong willingness in, in uh, a lot of countries uh, to have domestic manufacturing, uh, especially, I would say, the, the film and finish part. Um, one of the, you know, key advantage that we have, you know, with TPX COVID-19, uh, as a reminder, this is a fully synthetic vaccine. Um, they're a very simple process of manufacturing um, and, and, you know, it's very portable. So it means that, you know, in any country of the world, advanced country or even emerging country of the world, they are out there, you know, facilities with uh, lyophilization, seal and finish capacity that could produce DPX COVID-19. Uh, so we have that in Canada with our CDMO. We have that in the U.S. with our CDMO. And again, you know, we um, we are planning to expand uh, in other uh, countries. The great thing for the company, and I want to be careful uh, what I say about you know the opportunity around COVID-19 because you know it's been uh, very disruptive for a lot of people around the world. But um, you know, uh, f just from a um, you know. Um, the potential acceleration of you know our business plan, all the work that you know is, is being done uh, in, a, in a in a very accelerated you know way for bringing the process of manufacturing to phase three validation, which is re what is required you know um, for uh, getting on the market. You know we were already planning to do that you know for DPX survive act you know with. Um, the idea, as Joanne just highlighted, that we, we could have the potential to move into uh, um, uh, potentially several uh, registration trial or uh, phase 2B, maybe that could support registration by next year. The manufacturing needs to be ready. Uh, so we already had a plan for that, but but all the work, you know, it's being done with COVID-19, you know, it's going to be uh, um, uh, contributing actually um, the plan we we uh, initially had for DPX or Vivac. So that's, that's really... Uh, um, you know, um, a great opportunity for the company to actually accelerate, you know, manufacturing development for for oncology as well. That's really helpful. Thank you. And thanks for part of the reminders as well. My second question is, when you look at all the oncology programs, and especially, I mean, it also is certainly applicable for um, the COVID vaccine, is what kind of um, ongoing studies, or rather even your plans to disseminate data regarding um, the T-cell response, durability, types of T-cells, the populations, et cetera, um, through the course of these studies? Uh, 
So just just repeat the question, just to make sure I understand you. You're asking about you know additional translational data on um, the cell response um, across our studies and uh, and how yes. it is linked with yeah, with uh, clinical responses. Yes. Well, you know, at at ASCO, you know, we provided additional information uh, on this, but. Uh, um, you know, definitely for us, you know, and you've been following us for quite some time, you know, um, you know, it's, it has always been a very important consideration. Um, you know, I've, I've said repeatedly myself that, you know, one of the missing, you know, demonstration in the space, you know, in, with cancer vaccines or any technology using the immune system was this ability to prove that you can generate tumor regressions. And, 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 you know, this was a major goal of the company to, um, you know, be the first or be one of the first to show that you can actually program T cells in, in, in vivo in humans and prove that they will infiltrate the tumor and generate tumor regression. And I believe that we've made this demonstration very clearly, you know, in cancer. And this is one of the best uh, first, you know, demonstration of that. Uh, this is the proof that you have an active product. Um, and in, in you know oncology development, that first proof that you have an active an active product has always been a very important step, especially as as you know, there's many combinations you know in in oncology treatments. You know, most treatments are combination. So so you need to start with proving you have activity and it includes you know T cells. So we've always done it, we'll continue to do it. So you will um you know you, you can expect uh, to see us, you know, um uh, providing the information about the T cell across all our trials uh, continuously, uh, the LBCA ovarian and you know the basket trial um, with uh, with Merck with Ketoda. Got it. Thank you very much, and be well, everyone. Thanks, Joe. Again, if you'd like to ask a question, press star one on your telephone. Your next question comes from the line of Mayank Mantani with B Riley FDR. Please go ahead. Hi, good morning. This is Sahil on for Mayanka. Congrats on all the progress. Just a couple of brief questions from us. Um, as you think about this upcoming phase one sort of interim look at the COVID-19 program, could you give us a little more color on how we should think about uh, some of the previously generated data? And I'm thinking the CD8 T-cell responses in the ovarian cancer program and even the, some of the local IGA responses um, that were seen in RSV, just in terms of uh, what are some sort of the analyses we can expect at that phase one study, and then maybe taking it a bit step further, uh, what would trigger the phase two? Thank you. Thanks, Mayank. So, um, so we, we um, you know, there's just been a lack, lack for preclinical results. You know, there's been a number of, of clinical results out there, and, and, you know, I think there's a very strong consensus, consensus around, you know, what are the parameters to look for, uh, um, you know, for, for um, to get a sense of, of you know, the, the potential uh, level of protection that can be achieved by a, by a candidate vaccine in a phase one trial. And it's, it's mainly um, uh, antibody responses, you know, uh, the, the level of antibodies, um, you know, I think duration is a, is a missing information. I mean, there's some data on duration, but it's very limited at this point. And then, you know, the functionality of all those antibodies, you know, are they able to, to bind, you know, um, the, the virus and the spike and are they able to, um, to uh, generate, you know, um, neutralization. So I think those are the, the two most important parameters in my view uh, at this point. And, and we are planning to, to report exactly uh, those two things. 
beyond that, you know, uh, the T cell, you know, uh, contribution to protection, um, I think it's an important consideration and it's it's thing, you know, that, that you know, is complementary to uh, the antibody response. But, you know, um, if you look at, you know, the very long, you know, history of vaccines, so there has never been, you know, a clear correlation. Uh, I mean, in a, in, a, in a fully controlled clinical study where, you know, people are, were trying to show correlation between CD8 T cells or CD4 T cells and protection, you know, it, it was never successful. So in my view, unless, you know, we discover something new with, with, um, with those programs, I think that, you know, the, um, the T cell component is going to be uh, um, um, an additional information provided, but the real um, surrogate, you know, for protection will, will remain antibodies uh, like they have been for vaccines for, for a very long time. Um, again, you know, I, I'll repeat that, you know, we, we, I think we, you know, I, I don't know everything that's been done in the world, but um, we are probably the first, you know, um, in the space with a targeted vaccine. Um, and, you know, the goal of the approach we had is to, uh, to improve duration and to improve, you know, the potential efficacy of the vaccine in the elderly population. Um, so for us, you know, um, as we move through phase one, two, three, you know, we'll be uh, uh, paying a lot, of, a lot of attention to those, those two criteria uh, as we report the clinical results, um, you know, hopefully, uh, um, you know, between now and, and the end of the year. Great, that's really helpful. And then maybe just as a brief follow-up, um, <clears throat> how does the kind of the preliminary data that you guys are anticipating to release, how do you think about that influencing, you know, future non-dilutive funding, rec recognizing, you know, Health Canada's validation for funding the phase one study, kind of thinking of uh, later stage development and how you're thinking of capital expenditure moving forward in general would be helpful. Thank you. Yeah, so like, like I said, we have been in very close collaboration with the Canadian government, you know, not only of Canada, but, you know, um, the, the funding agencies that are supporting, you know, the development of, of vaccines in Canada. Uh, you may have noticed, uh, by the way, that uh, the, the Minister of Innovation, you know, tweeted on IMZ uh, last week, you know, saying that for Canada, it's, it's important to have access to uh, made in Canada vaccine. It's not because, you know, they are arguing, you know, they, they want to defend, you know, the, 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 um, the economic impact, but, but it's more about, you know, there is a real risk, you know, of, of um, um, if you don't have domestic manufacturing that you don't have access to vaccines, you know, depending on what's going to be happening with the most advanced vaccines, whether they will be efficacious or not. So I think, you know, a lot of governments in the world are trying to, you know, uh, secure access to um, vaccines that are more advanced, but at the same time, um, you know, really paying attention to uh, can we uh, build um, a domestic manufacturing capacity for COVID-19. So, so, you know, they, they, we are in close collaboration with them. They've seen every piece of data that we have, including all the preclinical results. Uh, and, you know, we are hopeful that, you know, they will continue to support us, you know, as we uh, uh, move into uh, scale up of manufacturing in Canada and, you know, phase two, three uh, clinical trials um, in the upcoming months. Great. Thanks for taking our questions. And there are no further questions at this time. I will turn the call back over to the presenters for closing remarks. Thank you. I don't have any closing remarks. I just want to say uh, thank you to everyone for, for your time this morning and, and, and the good questions.
This concludes today's conference call. You may now disconnect. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.